0: Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Wednesday, July 12th, and we start with local news. The American Red Cross is assisting a Murray County family that was displaced after their house caught fire on Monday, according to the Murray County Fire Department. Multiple fire crews responded to the house fire on Albert Matthews Road on Monday, Murray County Fire said. Firefighters found fires showing from an attached garage with heavy smoke pouring from the rest of the home. Crews were able to cut off the fire's extension into the living portion of the home. The fire department says the family is being assisted by the American Red Cross. Global graphite-producing giant Mersin, based in France, will revitalize the previous Union carbide plant in Colombia, investing an estimated $70 million in the area's economy and bringing 100 new employees on board to the expanded operations. Mersin, a global leader in electrical power and advanced materials, will operate at the 60-acre site over 800,000 square feet across 10 buildings off Fe Pike, set to produce 120 metric tons of graphite. The plant once housed the operations of Union Carbide dating back to the late 1990s, but most recently housed GrafTech Advanced Graphite, which was recently bought by CRG LLC and then sold to Merson in 2019. Merson, a $1.2 billion company, operates plants in 35 countries, including 10 in the United States, employing some 7,500 people. Furthering graphite production is part of the company's strategic plan, starting isostatic graphite production mainly for the semiconductor market in Colombia. The plant will be equipped to produce 4,000 tons of extruded graphite, 120 tons of insulation felt, and 2,000 tons of isostatic graphite per year. In another two years, Merson will continue the expansion of the plant and operations, investing another projected $40 million, according to company officials. Veronica Hobbs, Columbia-based Mercen Human Resources Director, said the plant has already expanded from 50 employees to 85, attracting workers on the values of teamwork, collaboration and recruiting. United States Representative Andy Ogles, who attended the ribbon-cutting ceremony and reception, said attracting the company to expand in Columbia was a top priority while he was Murray County Mayor four years ago, ahead of being elected to serve the 5th Congressional District after a tumultuous election. I had the privilege of being here at the beginning of this project, Ogle said to the crowd of over 100 attendees, including elected officials, company representatives, and workers. He explained how the county and city and Murray County Chamber and Economic Alliance helped to bring the company to Columbia, working diligently since before the pandemic, which temporarily stopped momentum on the project. This was a jewel in the rough, Ogle said. They wanted to make it fit, they wanted to make it work. We are known as the mule capital of the world. During World War I, we served the world in mules. We powered the world. When you look at the electrification of North America and Europe and the world, Middle Tennessee and Columbia will once again be powering the world with this product, he said. Eric Guagiotti. Merson, Executive Vice President of Advanced Materials, who is based in Paris, has flown to Colombia 36 times to oversee the transition of the sale of Merson and to launch the plant operations. This is a big adventure, Guagiotti said. This is a wonderful opportunity to revitalize this site, boost the local economy, and bring jobs and people to bring life to this plant, he said. Merson's CEO Luke Temelin spoke more about the operations at the site, which is already in production. I'm very proud of what has been achieved at the Columbia site in the last four years in terms of redevelopment, investment, production startup and more, Temelin said. It is now a key site in our manufacturing base, bringing together production capacities for extruded graphite, isostatic graphite and insulating felts. We intend to continue investing to meet increased demand from sustainable development markets, particularly the silicon carbide semiconductor market, he said. Last night at the Columbia City Council meeting, citizens turned out to speak out against the large development which is being considered on Trotwood Avenue near Ridley Park. WKOM WKRM's Delk Kennedy attended the meeting and spoke with Columbia Vice Mayor Randy McBroom to learn more about the issue and whether it may pass in the vote that is due to take place on Thursday.
1: This is Del Kennedy, Front Porch Radio. Tonight I'm at a study session of the Columbia City Council. One of the more controversial uh, things on the docket tonight was a 750-house, more or less, development out on Trotwood Avenue next to Ridley Park. Uh, there have been a lot of concerns expressed tonight. The uh, county and Eric Prevetti, the chair of the county commission, and Gabe Howard, also on the county commission, expressed concerns about infrastructure and schools and that type of thing, traffic that would be caused by these 750 houses. There were also expressions of concern, I think, by just about all the council members here about perhaps safety concerns, uh, access for fire trucks for police, for that kind of thing, traffic concerns Uh, and I'm speaking with Vice Mayor Randy McBroom and I think uh, Mayor McBroom the last thing I heard you say was that you're still up in the air you're considering the pros and cons of this development and there will be a vote uh, Thursday night to either approve disapprove or defer for a further study what do you see as the pros and cons? What's your thinking on this right now?
2: Well, the pros are um, they're, sp- they're good builders. We've always heard good things about them. It's development on the south side of town, which w- would mean the tax dollars more than likely will come to Columbia. And we need some of the housing on that side of town. That's just that's some of the pros. Now, some of the cons is, of course, what everybody has said, roads to safety and uh, the situation like that and in infrastructure. So that's the cons. Is there anything in particular you'd like to hear
1: more about before you make up your mind as to how you will vote?
2: Well, I, tomorrow morning I'll go in. I'm going to talk to Mr. Keltner and, and uh, Mr. Harper about the uh, widening of uh, Zion Road and see what we can do. And Mr. Keltner and Mr. Harper are? Uh, Mr. Keltner is the uh, city director, and Mr. Keltner is the city engineer. And that was my concern right there is, after what Chief Cobb said, was widening the shoulder so um, to make it safer.
1: Yeah, and Chief Ty Cobb expressed tonight concerns about the ability of fire, rescue, police, whatever, to access down Trotwood Avenue. Um, do you have any sense, uh, I mean, I didn't get much sense, do you have any sense as to whether council would approve, disapprove, or defer this on
2: Thursday night, uh, or is it just still up in the air? I say it's still up in the air. Everybody's done a lot of soul-searching on it. I cut grass for four hours on Saturday, and that's all I thought about was this project right here, the pros and the cons, because this is the biggest subdivision we've ever approved. So it it takes a lot of work and effort on us, and I've got no idea what anybody's going to do. Okay. Again, Delp Kennedy, Front Porch Radio,
1: speaking with Vice Mayor of Columbia, Randy McBroom. Tonight they've heard... Uh, testimony from various people about the proposed 750 home development on trotwood avenue near ridley park and as mayor mcbroom says he's not sure how he's going to vote thursday night yet and he doesn't have a good sense of how the council is going to vote to defer to uh, approve or disapprove on thursday night so thursday nights when it all happens mayor mcbroom thank you
2: thank you Dem-
1: <laughs> all right
0: KKK recruitment flyers have been left at several African-American churches in Columbia, says a local pastor. Kenny Anderson Sr., pastor of Mount Cavalry Missionary Baptist Church, told the news media early Tuesday morning that the hate flyers were left recently on the marquees of Mount Cavalry Missionary Baptist Church, Bethel Chapel African Methodist Episcopal Church, and Faith United Missionary Baptist Church. The flyers say... You've been paid several soci- another social visit by the old glory knights of the Ku Klux Klan. We have a dark history here, and because of you, a bright future. Be warned: race traders, mixed breeds, communists, homosexuals, and other all other walks of godless degeneracy. The Klan is back again and here to stay. So you'd better make amends or stay away. An email address was included on the flyer. Columbia Police released video Tuesday afternoon showing a suspect leaving a flyer containing, quote, biased-based rhetoric on a food truck. They're asking anyone who may know the person to contact the police at 931-388-2727. Area pastors have scheduled a press conference for 5.30 p.m. on Wednesday evening at the Mount Cavalry Missionary Baptist Church Annex Building, located at 901 South Glade Street, to address the issue. A prayer for unity will follow. Columbia Mayor Chaz Mulder issued the following statement on the matter. Our local law enforcement agencies are investigating this matter and working to confirm the source. At this time, we have no reason to believe this flyer represents any type of coordinated activity other than a sickening, isolated incident. The words are hateful, reprehensible. They do not reflect our community's values. My heart hurts over this isolated incident, and we will work to show the world that our community is one of love for all, he said. The Murray County Chamber and Economic Alliance recently shared its latest efforts in tracking the and cultivating economic growth, which included input from several city and county boards. Murray Alliance Vice President of Economic Development Travis Groth presented these latest efforts to Columbia City Council members in June, detailing the results of a recent strike zone study, which included a desired focus on job growth, higher wages, and improvement of infrastructure. The survey consists of input from various government boards in Columbia, Spring Hill, Mount Pleasant, and at the county level, each pinpointing its greatest needs to attain the best results. The purpose was to gain feedback on what a successful economic development project should look like going forward, Growth said. The community has had a period of growth that has been very productive, and we just want to make sure our efforts going forward align with our stakeholders and the outcomes align with our stakeholders as well. The study began in late 2021 and lasted about a year, ending in December of 2022. Each board was submitted five open-ended questions, along with participants voting on specific scenarios to gain data with questions such as, what are the top priorities, Growth said. Growth also highlighted a few areas in which Columbia's results differed from its respective neighbors. The city council's results differed a little bit from the combined results, Growth said. Generally, Colombia was a little more supportive of manufacturing projects, along with support of solar and green energy projects compared to the combined results. And much like the combined results, you you ranked wages as the top priority, with a focus on job creation aligned with appropriate uses of utilities and infrastructure, he said. Growth's presentation also included an additional study to help monitor the county's growth, which can also be considered a useful resource in recruiting stakeholders looking to invest. The Key Performance Indicator, or KPI, study is a new study the Marie Alliance hopes to track annually to help identify changes in growth over a 10-year period, including population, graduation rates, average annual income, employment rates, and more. The study not only tracks growth and progress over time, but can also be used to identify areas in need of improvement. Growth said the benefit of having a KPI study is having a straightforward breakdown of the county's key economic factors, which often consists of massive amounts of data that can be overwhelming to navigate. There is so much data out there, and you can get lost trying to figure out what we should look at, Growth said. To have an easy-to-digest easy, easy to digest dashboard, it's looking at three main things. Is the community growing? Is it getting wealthier? And is it educating and training the workforce it's going to need? It's looking at those indicators quickly, at sort of a snapshot of whether things are changing that we need to take a deeper dive into to find additional information, he said. The current KPI study, which growth stresses is very much a draft at this point, can be viewed at the Murray Alliance website at www.murrayalliance.com. The community does seem to be trending in a positive way no matter how you measure it, growth said. The hope is to make this something that gets updated annually and can be something we can show stakeholders to get their feedback as far as if these are the right indicators and if there are any areas that may be lacking. So far, the feedback Has been pretty positive, he said. The Columbia State Foundation recently hosted a luncheon in the prior art gallery where board members, alumni, and the City of Columbia were recognized for their service to the college and community. To begin, the luncheon honored board members whose terms ended. This included Foundation Board Chair Mike Alexander, who was awarded a plaque with the number 5776 to represent the amount of students that have graduated during the time period in which he served. Following this, the City of Columbia received the Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Philanthropy. The Chancellor's Award for Excellence in Philanthropy was established in March of 2001 as a way of recognizing outstanding fundraising programs that donate their resources and efforts to Tennessee Board of Regents' colleges. Honorees are selected through a donor recognition committee comprised of representatives from Tennessee community and technical colleges, donors, trustees, regents, and employees. The City of Columbia's involvement in the work and mission of Columbia State Community College will continue to equip students with opportunities for educational advancement and cultural enrichment, said Dr. Janet F. Smith, Columbia State President. It is with great pleasure that I award the 2023 Chancellor's Award of Philanthropy to the City of Columbia, she said. The City's support in the renovation of the John W. Finney Memorial Library resulted in a welcoming space of more than 24,000 square feet. The city continues to show its support by assisting with funding for the construction of the Southern Regional Technology Center, a state-of-the-art facility that will be located on the Columbia campus. Chaz Mulder, mayor of Columbia, accepted the award on behalf of the city of Columbia. We know the importance of this college, that this college has, and we support it in every way that we possibly can, Mulder said. It is so nice to receive this honor today, because I think it's a testament to the support that this college has received from the city, he said. Sisters Linda Crunk Potts and Vicki Crunk Kane each received the President's Award of Honor for Distinguished Alumni. Potts graduated from Columbia State in 1970 with an Associate of Science degree in English. She went on to become a pillar in the community, holding multiple community service positions and staying involved at Columbia State through the Alumni Board of Directors, the Foundation Board, the Lewisburg Site Steering Committee, and by serving as the Alumni Board President and the Capital Campaign Committee Chairman for Annual Giving. Kane graduated from Columbia State in 1971 with an Associate of Science degree in Education. In addition to her various positions in the community, she kept close ties with Columbia State through the Alumni Association and by serving on fundraising committees for the Lewisburg campus. Together, the two accomplished businesswomen established the Calloway and Jean Crunk Endowed Scholarship in 2000 to honor their parents through the Columbia State Foundation. Since 2008, scholarships have been awarded to 49 distinct students— Keeping tradition, their children and grandchildren have followed in the sisters' footsteps by attending Columbia State Community College. Today, we honor two alums who happen to be sisters and who have been noted for their support and promotion of Columbia State as they worked and contributed to the development of their communities, Smith said. We are so proud of them as Columbia State graduates and are honored to have the opportunity to recognize them today as distinguished alums. Linda Crunk-Potts and Vicki Crunk-Kane, both of them, through their own decisions and chosen paths, have demonstrated for students, alumni, and community what can be accomplished with a Columbia State degree. The Columbia State Foundation is a 501c3 organization that supports and partners with the college to positively impact student success and the communities in which it serves. For more information, visit www.columbiastate.edu forward slash foundation. And now, your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Angela Dawn Lackey of Columbia, Tennessee, and a business analyst at Farm Bureau Health Plans for 21 years, died on Wednesday, July 5th. The funeral for Mrs. Lackey will be held on Wednesday, July 12th at 11 a.m. at First Presbyterian Church of Spring Hill. Burial will follow at 2 p.m. at Kirkland Cemetery in Taft, Tennessee. Mrs. Patricia Sewell Fitzgerald, 85, passed away on Thursday, July 6th in Columbia. Graveside services for Mrs. Fitzgerald will be conducted on Saturday, July 15th at 11 a.m. at Sunset Hill Cemetery in the Theta community. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years.
3: When people come here, I hope they feel like they're working with a person who's just like family. And by the time they leave here, I hope they feel like they're a part of our family.
1: What I like most is when a family is leaving, they can say thanks. You made something we thought would be hard easier than we thought it would be.
0: Not that we made it easy. We made it easier. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have mostly sunny skies today with a high of 92 degrees. Winds will be out of the south at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, we can expect a few clouds with a stray shower or thunderstorm possible. The low will be 72 degrees with light and variable winds. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to southern Middle Tennessee today.
4: Three, two, one.
5: For more tips, visit pipesafety.org. This message brought to you by the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters and the Tennessee Gas Association. Funded in part by a grant from the Underground Utility Damage Enforcement Board.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Companies sued for their involvement in the pharmaceutical opioid trade will pay more than $50 billion in settlements to states and local governments in the coming years. KFF Health News has obtained detailed information on where more than $3 billion has been allocated. This includes payments of more than $2 million to the Nashville-Davidson metro government, the records show. The nonprofit news organization reported on documents it received from Brown Greer, a court-appointed firm administering the settlements, The amounts provided are down to the exact cent. This report does not include all settlement payments, such as those not part of the national settlement agreement affiliated with Brown-Greer. Some companies also made individual deals with estates that are not included in these lists. These documents include payments from pharmaceutical distributors that settled jointly with states. It also includes payments from the pharmaceutical maker Janssen, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. Tennessee has created an Opioid Abatement Council that also tracks many opioid settlement fund allocations and decides how much of that money should be spent. Here's what we know about the KFF investigation. The exact amount allocated to Nashville is $2,039,466.45, according to the KFF documents. Some other Tennessee city allocations include Murfreesboro, who will receive almost $141,000. Clarksville will receive just over $57,000. Mount Juliet will receive over $13,000, and Franklin, Tennessee, will get $24,752.16. Tennessee is expected to receive $600 million in such settlement funds over the next two decades. Nearly half of the money is controlled by the state's Opioid Abatement Council. Another 15% is controlled by state government, and the remaining 39.5% is controlled by local governments. Tennessee gas prices are trending slightly higher this week, increasing $0.03 on average. The Tennessee gas price average is now $3.10, which is $0.05 less expensive than one month ago and $1.20 less than one year ago. Gas prices are trending higher after the Fourth of July holiday, likely due to the higher demand alongside decreasing supply, said Megan Cooper, spokeswoman for AAA. The good news is that oil prices still remain low. Unless that changes this week, the upward pressure on gas prices could possibly ease fairly soon. Here are some quick facts. 34% of Tennessee gas stations have prices below $3. The lowest 10% of pump prices are $2.84. The highest 10%, $3.46. Tennessee is the fifth least expensive market in the nation. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. Goo Goo Cluster, Nashville's iconic candy brand, has announced the newest premium collaboration in the extensive confection lineup. The Puckett's Premium Goo Goo, available beginning Tuesday, July 18th. In partnership with another local mainstay, Puckett's Restaurant, the candy imitates Puckett's infamous deep-fried brownie sundae, a decadent treat combining the flavors of two Nashville staples. The Puckett's Premium Goo Goo features brownie, salted caramel, pecans, and spiced shortbread, all covered in dark chocolate. The spiced ingredients are seasoned with Puckett's signature barbecue rub, giving the premium a unique, savory, yet sweet taste. The Puckett's premium goo-goo is the first of our kind with the incorporation of a barbecue rub, said Lori Spradley, vice president of operations for Goo-goo Cluster. We have created a delicious mix of sweet and savory with this confection, covered in rich, dark chocolate and sprinkled with spiced pecans. Puckett's restaurant is a legendary southern food staple and live music destination from a Marshall hospitality with six locations across Tennessee and a seventh in Coleman, Alabama launching July 18th with pre-order availability. Now the Puckett's premium Gugu Goo Goo will be sold online at Google.com downtown in Nashville and at all Puckett's restaurants. That's all for this edition of Southern middle Tennessee today on WKOM WKRM radio. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.